we're looking at a series where we're talking about who we are as a church. Uh, the last two weeks, we, we've been looking at what are some of the most important things to us as a church. We call those our core values. We've got this week and next week to finish up the core values. And then after that, uh, we'll look at this mission statement. Uh, you may have seen it posted somewhere or maybe on our website or on one of the walls in the church. Loving, living, and leading others to Jesus Christ. What's that all about? Are we serious when we, when we say that? Or is that just something that, that sounds good and catchy and so we print it on things so that we can say we have a, we have a mission statement? There's, there's substance to that, and we're going to look at that. And then we're going to conclude this, this series uh, after that week with looking at where do we think God is leading us as a church. He's obviously at work. He's obviously been guiding and leading and providing, and, and we've been praying and seeking his direction. And, and so we're going to uh, present that to you and, and, and ask you to continue to pray with us about how you fit into where God is leading Houston Church. So good time to be here if you're looking to evaluate a church or if you know people who are uh, interested in maybe trying out a church and they don't have a church home, this is a good time to come and evaluate because we're putting it all on the table. Here's who we are. And, and it's your opportunity to say, yes, I'm on board with that or no, I'm not. And if God leads you somewhere else, God leads you somewhere else. And we're okay with that. But we want you to know who we are and what's important to us so that way you know why we do some of the things we do, why we make some of the decisions we make. So this morning, we're going to continue on with core values. And um, before we get going, I've got to say, this morning, this is one of those sermons that it's really easy. I mean, you're going to walk out of here. Every one of you are going to walk out of here this morning getting it. I mean, there's not going to be any question this morning that I'm not really sure what that passage meant. I don't, I don't really know what that verse meant or what was the pastor trying to say. This is one of those mornings where it doesn't even matter if you haven't had your coffee yet. You're going to get this one this morning because it's that easy. But before we jump into that, let me, let me do this. I've got a few pictures I want to put before you. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. As you look at these pictures, I want you to a- answer the question, who is the person or the people in the picture following? Who are they following? And, and, and you're going to know real quick and easy who they're following. It might take us a little while to get warmed up, but let, let's give the first one a try. Let's put that first picture up there. All right. <laughs> who are these guys following? The Cowboys, go Pokes, right? Oklahoma State University, all right? Easy, right? Okay, they didn't play yesterday. I think they play Thursday, right? All right, so um, that's an easy one, right? Who are they following? Okay, Pokes. All right, let's put that next one up there. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's go ahead to the next one. Oh, there's a better one. Yeah, I can't put that first one up there in the light of yesterday's game. They did pretty, pretty good, didn't they? Um, But I couldn't pass up that picture when I Googled OU fans. That's the first thing that popped up. Must have been some University of Texas guy putting that up there. All right, who are these guys following? Yeah, I don't hear you saying that as loudly. Where's the, where's the quiet majority? Okay, okay. All right, now let's not be divisive here. Okay, that easy one. All right, next, next picture. Who are these guys following? All right, good. Okay, so, so you're kind of getting the theme here. We can see and understand who they're following because there's things about them, traits about them, things they're wearing that lets us know who they're following. Let's go a little deeper now. Next. Hmm. Who do these guys follow? Hitler. All right. Good. Next. Who's this? He is a Muslim. He is a Muslim imam. So he would, we would say he's following the religion of Islam or, or the, the teachings of Muhammad. He's a Muslim. Good. And you know that by the way he's, he dresses, his appearance, his hat. Next. A little different. He's not a Muslim. Anybody know who this is? 
Hindu, yes. This is a Hindu Sikh. This is the, the priest or the pastor in the uh, Hindu faith. And so he is following the uh, teachings of Hinduism. And you know that by the, the turban on his head. Next. What about these guys? Yes, Buddhists. These are Buddhist monks. And uh, we know that because of the, uh, the tunics that they're wearing, those robes, the, the bald-shaved heads uh, that they, they have, and they follow the teachings of the Buddha. Okay? Uh, now, before we go on, uh, th- there's ways that we can identify who they are. Right? I mean, you can look at those pictures as you just did, and, and, and most of you are able to tell me that's who this person is, and they f- therefore follow these kind of things. You can make some general assumptions about them. We don't want to go too far into making specific assumptions because just like in Christianity with some of those religious groups, there's different sects, there's different uh, groups and, and sections of them, and so um, you, know, you can only kind of make broad sweeping assumptions from a picture. Or in the case with the, the uh, football and the basketball, you know who they're following because they wear it. They, they let you know who they're following, and so then you can make some uh, general assumptions, and uh, we're not going to get into the assumptions that those of you make about OU or OSU, folks. All right, but then, now let me ask you then, so how then, if that's how you tell an OSU uh, fan or an OU fan or a Thunder fan or uh, someone who's a Muslim or uh, a Buddhist or a, 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 a Hindu, if that's how you can tell them apart, that's pretty easy, how do you tell a Christian how, how do you identify who a Christian is? What is that identifier that sets a Christian apart? Let me ask you if it's a couple of these things. Let's put the next picture up there. All right, so it, is it wearing jewelry? Christian, distinctly Christian jewelry, a cross somewhere on you. Is, is that how you tell if a person's a Christian? Okay, let's go with the next picture. Or the fish. Hey, they got Jesus on their, on their car, you know? Is that a good way? Is that how we're supposed to identify ourselves as Christians? All right, let's go to the next one. What about some of these shirts? Uh, and uh, if you have or own any of these shirts, please don't raise your hand because I'm about to say some things that might make you embarrassed about them. But I have a friend who probably owns every one of these shirts. Is that how we're supposed to let people know we're a Christian? One Savior, three nails equals four given. Now, is there, is there anything wrong with that message? No. I mean, is there anything wrong with wearing that shirt? No. There is if that's the way you think we identify ourselves as Christian. But, but let's go a little deeper. Next. All right. Jesus, it's just that easy. <laughs> right? The Staples easy button. Is, is that the way we're supposed to walk around as Christians and identify ourselves as followers of Christ? Jesus, it's this that easy. Uh, okay. Next. My personal favorite. Air Jesus, the ultimate high. If you own this shirt, let me encourage you to burn it. <laughs> I will say that about this one. This one just goes way beyond. I mean, okay. Is that the way? If you, are, if you own that shirt, I will walk away from you. I will walk away from you. That is not how we're supposed to identify ourselves as followers of Christ by the ultimate high. Okay, next. How then do people know who we follow as Christians. If it's not any of those things, and all of those things people do, and, and maybe we can, we can fool ourselves into thinking, that's it. If I just wear my Jesus cap with my Jesus shirt and my Jesus cross and my Jesus fish ring with my Jesus bumper sticker, then people will know I'm followers of Christ. Now they're just going to know that you like Jesus caps, Jesus shirts, Jesus crosses, Jesus fish rings, and Jesus bumper stickers, and then they're going to think you're probably just a fanatic, right? That's not the way that we're supposed to identify ourselves as Christians. 
Now, are those tools helpful? Yeah, they're helpful if people are actually going to come up to you and say, hey, tell me about that ultimate high because just the other night I was high and it was not ultimate. <laughs> you know, if someone says that to you, then maybe that Air Jesus shirt uh, will work for you. Um, and, and, and these days and age, um, you know, the crosses and the fish, unfortunately in our culture, those are no longer identifiers like they were in one day. Used to be those things were identifiers where you would maybe draw half the fish in the sand and someone else would come and complete it and therefore you know now who's a Christian. It doesn't work that way anymore. It's just jewelry. Atheists can walk around with that stuff and do. So how does a person know we are followers of Christ? You know, Jesus actually left us with that. He left us with a very specific way that people are supposed to know that we are followers of Christ. And it's so simple. And we find it in the book of John chapter 13. So if you want to go there with me, book of John chapter 13. Uh, if you need a Bible this morning, there are some Bibles in the chairs in front of you uh, there. And I believe it's around 1218, page 1218. But the book of John is in your New Testament. And then as your New Testament starts, you've got the four books that talk about Jesus. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John is that fourth book of the New Testament there. And you're going to chapter 13. Um, and I'll say this while you're turning there. If uh, you don't have a Bible and maybe you're using that Pew Bible this morning and you're reading through it and it works for you, you like it, it makes sense, let that be our gift to you. We will, we will get more as we need more, but we want to put in your hands a Bible that you will use and that you can understand. And if that one works for you, please take that. So John chapter 13, and, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 34 and 35. Now, before we get there, let me kind of tell you what's been going on at this point in the book of John, because we're kind of just parachuting in to um, the, the end of the gospel. And uh, Jesus has, has come to this point where he is aware that his time is short. In fact, it's Thursday night, and he is going to be going to the cross the next, the next day, that Friday. And so he, he is gathering with his closest disciples, the 12 who he has uh, walked with and who have kind of followed him, who he sent out. He's gathering with them in what's called the upper room. It's the upper room of, of a place uh, where they gathered. And they're celebrating the Passover. They're celebrating this, this uh, feast, this Old Testament ritual that has been around for a while. And part of that celebration is they eat a lamb, the Passover lamb. And maybe you're familiar with what the Passover lamb is, is about, and maybe you're not. And so the, the Passover lamb was this. When, when Israel was uh, held as slaves in Egypt for all those 400-something years, and, and eventually God raised up the man Moses, his servant, who he was going to use to go to Pharaoh and, and release his people from slavery, the night before they were released, God told them uh, that they needed to go and each household needed to slaughter a lamb. And he gave them some specifics on how to pick that lamb, because not just any lamb would do. It had to be a lamb without a blemish, uh, without spot, without any kind of defect. And you slaughter that lamb, and, and then he told them, take, take a branch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of the lamb, and then on your doorposts, put that blood. Because what was going to happen that night was the Spirit of God was coming through that land, and any firstborn in that land that was not in a home that was covered by the blood of the lamb was going to die. And so God said, in order for your firstborns not to be impacted by what I'm going to do to Egypt, you've got to spread the blood of this Passover lamb. And so then they were to do this year after year as a, as a, uh, a way to remember what God had done for his people Israel in the Old Testament. And really, it's kind of a, the, the major event of the Old Testament because everything refers back to it. God always points his people back to, I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. 
I'm the God who delivered you out of slavery. And so every, everything God does with his people in the Old Testament uh, usually ends up pointing them back to, I am that God, the one who took you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so Jesus is gathering with his closest, his closest followers, the 12, and he's going to eat this meal with them. And so as he eats this meal, uh, they're passing around the bread. You know, and of course he says, hey, uh, this bread now that you're eating tonight, he's kind of revealed to them a little bit. They don't quite get it. He's, he's not going to be with them much longer. Uh, they don't quite get what that means because they still think that Jesus is just going to walk into Jerusalem and set up his kingdom and there he's going to sit on the throne and rule. They, they don't understand yet fully that Jesus is going to die. Even though he's talked about it, they think it's ridiculous. And so he says, this bread that you're now taking a piece of, hey, I want, I want you to understand that this represents my body. That's going to be broken for you. He's talking about his death. He's about to die. They don't get that. And then this cup of wine that they're, they're drinking with the uh, Passover meal, as they're passing around, he says, and this wine that you're about to drink, now it's going to represent my blood, and it's going to represent the new covenant. And they don't, they don't get that. Now, they should have gotten that because there were some prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who talked about this new covenant that God was going to do, but they didn't get that. And so Jesus is having this intimate moment with them. But do you know how that night started? This, this is really the kicker because before they ever got to that point to sit down, they all had to arrive at the place and in this society where you walked everywhere you went and you wore open-toed sandals everywhere you went and the roads were not made of concrete or, or asphalt or pavement, they were dirt roads that were just packed down. As you would walk and as you would walk beside donkeys or horses, dust would kick up and they would get on your feet. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of nasty. I mean, your feet would get hot and sweaty and muddy and, you know, the, the, the donkeys could be dropping things, and if you didn't see that, you could step in that, and that was a very real hazard for people traveling in that day, and then you get to a home. Do you think people are going to let you in their home with those kind of smelly feet and those kind of dirty feet? No. That society didn't allow that. That society, what they did was they knew this was a byproduct of having to walk everywhere, and so they would have someone at the house. If it was a wealthy person, they would have a slave or a servant of some kind, or maybe if it was the owner of the house, then they would have someone in their house. Usually the lowliest person in the house got to have this job. It's kind of similar to you, you and I. When, when uh, you walk in, you take your boots off or your shoes off, or, or, or if not, you wipe them on a rug or a mat, right, so that you don't track things in. Well, what they did was they would then bring this basin of water and they would wash your feet. They would wash it off. Okay, I don't know about you. That's not a job I would volunteer for. I wouldn't want to be getting close to someone's smelly feet like that that may or may not have animal dung on it, right? And I, and I certainly wouldn't want to be kneeling down. It's a very humiliating position. That's why it was reserved for the lowliest person, a servant or the lowliest person in the house. Do you know who did that when these guys arrived at this place to celebrate the meal? Here they are sitting. Jesus takes off his outer garment wraps a towel around him, gets the water basin, and then he goes to work. And he kneels down and, and he's at the first person's feet and he's starting to wash their feet. And at this point, everybody's going, what is going on here? He can't do this. He's, he's our teacher. He's our master. He's our rabbi. He's from God. He's a prophet. He can't do that. 
And maybe they start to look around, going, you know, whoever they thought in the group was the lowliest. Why didn't you do that? You should have done that. But here Jesus is and he's doing it. Humble, humiliating, putting others above himself. And he finishes the job. He gets up and he puts his outer garment back on and kind of starts to explain what he just did. And he's explained, hey, I'm not going to be with you longer. And then we kind of reach our verses in chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And so look with me there. He says this. I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus shows them what it looks like to be humble, what it looks like to put others before them himself and, and to serve and, and to, to sacrifice some, some things, his reputation perhaps. And then he says, hey, I give you a new commandment. Now this is, this, is, this is important because this is the night before Jesus is about to go and be betrayed. In fact, from here he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to pray for a while, and it's there they're going to come get him. It's a matter of hours. What Jesus says, it's going to be important because he's at this point he's really picking his words just like you and I would. If it's going to be the last hours we're going to spend with someone or it's going to be the last time we're going to see them for a long time, we want to leave them with something we're usually going to pick the most important thing we want them to remember to leave them with. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Uh, of all the favorite memories we've had on this trip, uh, my favorite was this because I got to spend time with you. And it leaves them with a lasting impression. We would do that. This is what Jesus is doing. He's picking his words. He's not going to be talking much longer. And he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Their ears are going to perk up a little bit. Okay. You know, they know commandments. They know 613 commandments from the Old Testament. So now Jesus is going to give us a new commandment. Okay. Love one another. I told you it was simple. Love one another. Jesus says, here's the new commandment. Love one another. Look around the room. Love one another. Can you imagine sitting in that room going... He, he did say he was going to give us a new one, right? Because at this point, perhaps, perhaps they're thinking, well, we know the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we know what the second one is. It's, it's kind of like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know about love. That's not new. And Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. What's new about this commandment? He goes on and he says, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Okay. What's new is the model. What's new is the example. It's not just now a, a commandment where you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you know, love your neighbor as yourself. There's now a picture. It's now been demonstrated. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, as he looks at the 12, just as I have loved you, you also now love one another. That must have been quite a weighty statement. You see, because as you think about what Jesus just did, washing their feet, that's 
presently in their minds. He says, just as I have loved you, love one another. So now they're going, oh. I mean like how he washed our feet. That was humiliating. He was considering our needs above his own. Okay, so he's setting an example for them in how to love selflessly, how to love sacrificially. But also think with me about who's in that room. And, and, and this is kind of a, a neat thought here. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you also love one another. And you think about the three or so years that they've walked together. And, uh, you know, Peter comes to mind. And how many times uh, Peter just stuck his foot in his mouth. And how many times Peter just spoke before he thought about what he was going to say. Some of you guys know what that's like. I have moments like that. And, Peter, and, and Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, as I've loved you, Peter, love everyone else. Uh, you know, there were times where, where Peter could have said some things that got them in trouble. There, there were some times where, where Peter could have gotten the cart before the horse here. In fact, there was one time where Jesus had to say to Peter, hey, Satan, get behind me. Because Peter rebuked his teacher. And he's looking at Peter and he says, as I've loved you, love one another. What's really neat to think about is what was about to happen for Peter. See, in John's gospel, Peter we're going to see him deny Christ just like we do in the other Gospels. But it's in John's Gospel that we see Jesus come back around after he's been raised from the dead. And he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? As they sit around a campfire eating some fish. And Peter's just feeling humiliated. And he's feeling down and discouraged because he had the opportunity to, to speak up for his, his friend, his Savior. And instead, he denied ever knowing him. And he denied it with a cuss word to a little girl. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's going to say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He's going to say, hey, feed my, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Hey, tend my flock. Peter, do you love me? And he's going to say, God, Lord, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? And what Jesus is doing in that moment is he is restoring Peter, a man who walked away. Jesus looks at Peter and he knows that's coming. P Peter, as I've loved you, so you also love the others in this room. And then we, we think about Nathaniel. Do you remember Nathaniel? Nathaniel was the guy who was sitting by a tree when, when one of the early followers of Christ came to him and said, Hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. Do you remember what Nathaniel said? And this, this person was explaining to Nathaniel, Yeah, it's this guy. His name's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Nazareth? Nathaniel's words, There's nothing good that comes from Nazareth. And then later Jesus reveals to Nathaniel, hey, I saw you when you were sitting by the tree. Now Jesus wasn't there, but Jesus says, I saw you when you were sitting by the tree. You think Nathaniel's starting to think about that as Jesus looks around him and he's, Nathaniel, as I've loved you, I love one another. And he, he, he looks at Thomas, Thomas who, who on one hand was ready to go to Jerusalem and die with his Savior, but just in a, in a, in a few days, is going to doubt that his Savior has ever even risen. So much so he's not going to believe the testimonies of anyone else, and he's going to say, unless I put my hands in him, in his holes, unless I see him, I won't believe. Hey, uh, Thomas says, I love you, love one another. Think about Matthew, that tax collector, the traitor. You know, the one who worked for the Roman government, 
The one who one day when, when Jesus and his guys are walking into town, here's Matthew sitting in this tax booth that's owned by the Roman government, and he's asking them for money on some of the things they're carrying in, and he's putting a little extra charge on top so he can make a living. People spit at guys like that. And Jesus looked at him and says, hey, follow me. And then they proceed to go to his house and eat. No Jewish rabbi would have ever gone to a tax collector's house and eat. Those guys were traitors. They should just be killed. They should just be spat on. And Jesus looks at Matthew and says, hey, as I've loved you, love, love one another. So you think about the guys that are in this room and they're all now thinking, how has Jesus loved me? And we see that Jesus loved them beyond social barriers. It didn't matter that Matthew's working for attack uh, for the Roman government. It didn't matter that, that Nathaniel thinks that Jesus is no good because he comes from Nazareth. That'd be like people saying, you're from El Ghetto. I've heard that. Have you heard that? I've heard that. I've heard it more in the high school circles. I'm sure adults don't say that. There was that one game, though. It'd be like that. Nothing good comes from that town. And Jesus looks around the room and he, he has broken down social boundaries with the way he's loved. In fact, he put Matthew and then he put Simon the Zealot on the same team. Simon the Zealot, you know that terrorist organization for Jew, the Jewish people who was, who was going to go and overthrow the Roman government? So you put this, this terrorist, this zealot, and then a traitor on the same team? You don't do that. That's just a recipe for disaster. But Jesus looks at him and says, as I've loved you, love one another. Go beyond those boundaries. Go beyond those social boundaries. Go beyond those racial boundaries. Go beyond the, what's acceptable in your mind and your culture and love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus gives them the model. He gives them the model for what it looks like to love one another in a selfless way that puts others before yourself, in a sacrificial way that lays down your pride, lays down your own desires. Maybe you don't want to befriend that person. Maybe you don't want to love that person. You'd rather love the other person because the other person is going to benefit you more if you love them. And Jesus says, hey, as I've loved you, love one another. So the new commandment is not really new in the sense of loving one another, but what's new about it is the model now has been given. God himself has come and modeled what it looks like to love as he loves. And then 35, verse 35. So I asked you, how, how do people know we follow Christ? How do people know? It's not by what we wear. It's not by, by you know, the, the slogan on our shirt. It's not by the cross we wear. It's this. 1335. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Everyone's going to know you follow me by the way you treat one another, by the way you love. You know, this is Jesus' last moments with his guys, and he's leaving something with them that he wants them to remember. You'd think he would take the time to say, hey guys, let's get some things straight before I go. Uh, first off, I am God. Yes, I'm a man. I've got, I've got a full body. I'm 100% human, but I'm 100% God. You have to get that. Later on, people are going to ask, was Jesus just a man or was Jesus just God or was he both or was he half and half? I want you to know, get this straight now, I was fully God and I'm fully man. He could have done that. 
He could have said, hey, um, uh, let me tell you, because in a minute I, I threw out that word church. You don't get what that means yet, but soon you're going to understand what the church is all about. And then there's going to be some kind of debates that pop up in the church as to how you're supposed to do ministry. Let me lay it out for you. This is how you do ministry. That way no one ever has to debate. He could have done that. And that, that would have been important too. Hey, um, let me explain to you how you get saved. Because people are going to debate that, and they're going to try to tie in baptism into that, and they're going to try to tie in all kinds of things. Let me explain to you so that way you can say you heard it from, from my mouth. He could have done that. He could have taken any number of important issues, and they are important, and many of them hinge. Christianity hinges on some of those things. And he could have said, if you get nothing else right, get this right. Salvation by faith alone. Get that right. He could have. But he didn't. Instead, what he left them with, the thing that he elevates is the way you treat one another. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, love one another in the way that I've loved you. And the way you do that will tell everyone around you who you follow. That's important. The way you do that will tell everyone around you who you follow. The way you do that will open up doors for everything else. For you to have those conversations. For you to share the gospel message. Because as people watch the way you love one another, just as I have loved you, they're going to look in and they're going to see it's different. Wow. Look how they love one another. That's not natural. That's not normal. I mean, how do you get people that are so different coming together and being in relationship. It's different. And then they're, they're going to look at it and they go, well, who are these guys? Oh, they're, they're Christians. They, they, follow, they follow Christ. They follow Jesus. Oh. Well, where did they learn to love like that? Well, it was modeled for them when Christ came. And the doors are opened for the gospel by the way we interact in relationship with one another. Our third core value that we're looking at this week is relationship. You ask, what's important to Houston? Uh, we said the first week it's the Bible. The second week it's grace. Today, relationship is important. Relationship matters because the gospel matters. Jesus elevated this and he says, if you don't get anything else right, this is the one thing that he left with them. Love one another as I have loved you. And so as you, you sit there and think about it, it's an easy message, isn't it? Hey, I just got to love people. That's easy to do. Treat them nice. Say nice things on Sunday. Bring them a meal if they're sick. That's easy to do. Jesus' Jesus's love goes much deeper than that. It crosses boundaries that you and I don't normally cross. It means loving someone in a way that hurts because you do it in a way that is so sacrificial. It means denying yourself some of the things that you want, maybe things even you need, so that you can provide for others or be there for others in a time of their need. Relationship matters because if we get this right and we don't too often, if we get it right, people should walk away from the church going, man, if that's the way their God loves them, and it motivates them to live this way, I've got to know the love of that God. 
That's what people should walk away from a church or a group of Christians saying. Unfortunately, what happens more often is people walk away going, man, if their God hates them that much, the way they hate one another, I don't want to be any part of it. And they put guards up. Because they know, based on what I saw over here, I'm just going to be talked about as soon as I walk away anyway. Based on what I saw over here, they're just going to pity me. They're going to condescend to me. I'm not like them. Unfortunately, that's too often people's experience. And it doesn't line up with the very thing Jesus left for his, his followers, is to love one another as he loved. And it's by that that people are going to know these are followers of Christ. So relationship matters to us here at Houston because the gospel matters. The gospel is at stake in the way that you and I treat one another. And it's not just found in this verse. This is just the one I picked for the week. But you go to other places and where Paul, in his letters, he'll tell them, hey, don't treat one another that way because you weren't treated that way by Christ. Hey, don't lie to one another because it looks bad on the gospel. Your, your, your example has been supplied by your God and you're supposed to follow that. Do what he did for you. Relationship matters to us at Houston because the gospel matters, because the gospel is at stake. And so what that means is we want to see the people who call Houston home, we want to see relationships built. And a lot of you already have that. Some of you don't, and you'll have that opportunity to get in that because that takes time. But it's how we do those relationships that matter. It's how we pursue one another in those relationships that matter. And so it, it means that we actually have to be involved in relationships. Because many, many, many people like to show up at church on Sunday and they start calling that church their home. I mean, it's different if you're visiting because you're kind of in an evaluating uh, place. But when you've started to come for a while and you're calling this church your home, but you're completely isolated from anyone else there and nobody knows you and you don't know anyone else. All they know is that hour on Sunday where you put your best face on even if your morning's been a wreck and, and you show them that, hey, I'm here and I'm happy and I love Jesus and then you sit in your chair and you sing and, and maybe you raise your hand if you want to feel really spiritual and then you walk out and you shake a few hands and you tell the pastor, hey, great message and then you're done and you're out. That's all people know of most of us. That one hour, maybe two. Maybe two. Relationship takes intentionality. Relationship takes time. And it takes an investment. Jesus did not come and die and rise again so that his people, his, his followers, could become a closed group of people who just come to church and never tell anyone else about his love. But he did come so that he could create a group who know his love, who share his love, and then who show his love. It means we can't be isolated in our relationship, in our Christianity, in our spiritual life. You can't grow in your spiritual life if you're not in relationship with other people who are also growing in their spiritual life. You've got to be in some kind of community. Now, that can look different, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a community with people from Houston. You may have coworkers who are believers who you get that from. That's, that's really what's most important. I'm not standing up here today and saying, in order for you to, to think relationships are valuable, important, you have to plug in here at Houston. Not what I'm saying. We've got things for you, and we want to offer more things for you, but that's not really the most important thing. The most important thing is that you are in relationship with other people 
who are also following Christ. And that in that relationship, you're treating one another and you're loving one another just as Christ modeled as his example. But it means you can't separate yourself. As you continue to grow and follow Christ, you've got to risk getting in relationship. Risk. And I use that word very intentionally because getting in a relationship and, and, and getting in one that really goes deep enough to, to, to really grow us takes risk. Some of you have known, known each other for years and so there's really no risk in that because you've got, you've got an established relationship but there is risk in sharing who you are, sharing where you struggle. Some of you are, are, are not maybe in some of, some of the relationships and maybe this is a newer church for you and, and so you're kind of getting to know people but it's a whole nother level to get to know people beyond Sunday or Wednesday because it takes somebody risking being known Take someone risking putting themselves out there, say, this is who I am. Uh, I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm still growing. This is what I'm struggling with right now. And in some cases, the, the relationship may, may allow for some of that kind of talk and should go there in appropriate relationships. This is who I am. This is what I struggle with. This is where I want to be. Take me for who I am. Love me. It takes a risk because what happens too often, and, and many of you have experienced that I have, is that when you risk yourself putting yourself out there and you, and you say something like that that's real risky, like, you know, I don't quite get this. Or I've really kind of always wondered about this particular Christian belief. Or, you know, this is my struggle right now. And what you're really needing is someone to come alongside you and say, I totally get that. I understand. I struggle. Maybe not in the same area, but I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't get it right all the time, and I just praise God every day that his grace covers me. That's a whole different response than what we often get, which is too, too quickly one of condemnation, too quickly one of the wrong kind of judgment. It takes risking. It also takes people then, when someone risks to respond in the way just like Christ did. I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying to Nathaniel, no, you can't follow me, I heard what you said. You said nothing good comes from Nazareth. Did that hurt my feelings? You can't follow me. Get, go. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus walking by Matthew and going, <laughs> and joining in what everyone else would have done? He didn't do that. He took someone who everyone else despised and he brought them close. Do we do that? Probably not as readily as we, as we could and should. One of the ways at Heaston that we uh, try to demonstrate that relationship matters is we provide opportunities for you to be in relationship, to be in community, uh, whether that be in a small group, which we, we have some, we're starting uh, new ones, and we want to start more because the reality is you, you, you need to be in a, in a small group if you really are starting new relationships, which a lot of you are going to be starting new relationships. We want, we want to start several small groups. You know, like, like 10 to 12 people in those groups where those 10 to 12 people meet together and they have opportunity to get to know one another. If you don't have a previously established relationship, it's going to be very hard for you to do that on a Sunday morning when you're talking about hundreds, almost 200s of people sometimes. Wednesday night where there's 90s, 80s, 90s, hundreds of people sometimes. But then you get into a class and that's a great opportunity. That's another way that we provide an opportunity for you to be known and to get known and to know others. You're in a smaller group. You know, how, do, how does a growing church meet the needs of people who feel like they want to be connected? It's by creating opportunities for you to be connected in smaller 
groups. And so we need leaders. We need people who are willing to step up and say, you know, I, I can't do it perfectly. I'm not sure I even know what to do, but I'd love to lead a small group or start one. And, and you know what we're asking when we ask you to start a small group is not to come up with a lesson every week. We're not asking you to be the most spiritually mature person in that group. We're asking you, and, and we're not even necessarily asking you to open up your home. It could be someone else's home, or it could be here at the church. But we're asking you to take the lead and coordinate in a group and then facilitating a discussion that goes deeper into what you heard on Sunday. We will provide you with questions based on the sermons that help you and your group go deeper into what does it look like to love people as Christ loved people. And so your role now becomes not one of preparing a lesson and having to teach and, and uh, as, as I've heard it said, being the, um, the sage on the stage. Instead, you become more like the guide on the side, right? You become a facilitator and you help people go deeper and you go deeper as you facilitate a discussion. That's really what we're looking for as we start new small groups. So we need people who, who feel like they can do that, who, who are willing to risk that. And then we'll create that group and launch it. And then, and then we'll launch more because we want to give you opportunities to plug in and to risk the relationship because relationship matters because the gospel matters. It's the way you and I love one another. Not just Easton people. It's also the way that you love people at First Baptist El Reno, First Christian El Reno, Wesley United Methodist, all the different churches in town, people who call themselves followers of Christ. It matters how you treat them. It matters how you relate with them. Because as people from the outside look at you and they say, follower of Christ, follower of Christ, they both say they're Christians, but man, they sure don't look like they love one another. That hurts the gospel. That hurts what God came to do. So relationship is important. That's our third core value. Relationship. Relationship matters because the gospel matters. If you're interested in leading a small group or, or talking more about that, Russ Wells has been heading that up. And so I want to encourage you to visit with him either after the service today or just grab his card. Uh, we've got his card out there. Grab it, shoot him an email, call him. Ask him what it looks like to lead a small group. Or if you know God's place is some my heart, I want to lead. I want to start a group, but I just know, need to know what the next steps are. Russ can help you with that, and we'd, we're ready whenever you are. If you're not in a group and you're looking to get in a group, maybe you've been kind of visiting and, and you're not yet plugged in, again, Russ is your point of contact for that. He can tell you about the groups we have and uh, tell you which one probably works best for you and which one would probably be a good one to try to start out with. And uh, he would be a great contact for that. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, let me close out and uh, pray. I'll invite our team back up here. Father, um, so simple. Just love one another is what, what Jesus says. Love them like I've loved you, and yet we don't get it right too often. It must have been important because he took the time to reveal that shortly before he was betrayed and led to the cross. Oh God, that we would understand how deep your love runs for us in Christ. That we would understand how you loved us even when we are not lovely, still do, because you love Christ. And because when we believe in, in Christ, you then give us his righteousness. And you love him so dearly. And so when we're in Christ, you love us so dearly. Oh God, that we would get that and that we would model that and live that because we've known that and received that. 
Help us, God. Show us the areas where we, where we don't get it right. We're not perfect. You, we know you know that, but we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to grow in our understanding of you and, and live that out so that others know. God, change us because of the love that you've shown us and lead us to live differently because of it. Pray in Christ's name, amen. Your God held nothing back when he loved you. And in fact, the scriptures say he lavishes that love upon you through Christ. So go and hold nothing back as you love others. Even if they don't love you, love as Christ loved. Because the gospel matters. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.